The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Quick reminder, we just launched our new show, The Morning Quickie, which compiles all of the best moments in all of the 700 plus episodes that we've done throughout the years. Think bite-sized information from all the incredible guests, whether it comes to business, relationships, inspiration, comedy, all of the stuff that you may have forgotten over the years, but which is still relevant today. We have such a strong back catalog and we had the team compile all the best moments. So if you need that reminder on how to be better, how to live better, how to feel better, check out The Morning Quickie delivered straight to wherever you get your podcasts, both video and audio formats on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. So check it out. Make sure you're not confused. This is a completely separate podcast called The Morning Quickie. Go check it out. Follow, subscribe. Would love a review if you feel compelled to do so. Check it out. The Morning Quickie. She's a lifestyle blogger extraordinaire. Fantastic. And he's a serial entrepreneur. A very smart cookie. And now Lauren Everts and Michael Bostick are bringing you along for the ride. Get ready for some major realness. Welcome to the Skinny Confidential, him and her. Uh I'm not good at a lot of things, but I am good at relationships. And I found that when you build, especially in your 20s and your 30s, It never ends, but that's the time where you have the most flexibility to build a network and, you know, say yes to everything. Like I'm in my 50s, I say no to mostly everything. But in my 20s, I said yes to as many things as I can because I wanted to put myself in a situation where I could get lucky. Luck doesn't happen sitting home watching the Kardashians. It happens when you go somewhere where the universe can reward you. And then you got to be good at whatever you do. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Him and Her Show, kicking off the New Year's with another very strong episode, Jesse Itzler. Jesse has to be one of the most highly requested guests on this show. I'm surprised it took so long to do this with him, but I'm also very glad that it did take this long because this is an incredible episode. So many people had recommended having Jesse come on the show. Jesse is an Emmy award-winning artist, a New York Times bestselling author. He's part owner of the Atlanta Hawks. He's an ultra marathon runner, an exceptional husband, father, businessman. He has mastered the art of success. He's married to Sarah Blakely as well. He's got four children and he's just someone that both Lauren and I really look up to. For years, we had spoken at so many different events with Jesse and we'd kind of cross paths, but we never had the ability to get him on the show. Then one day he reached out and he said, hey, I'm coming to Austin. We invited him over to the house. I tried to cook him in our sauna. I tried to freeze him in our ice bath and he continued to persevere and then did the show right after. We ended up talking for almost two hours on and off air. And like I said, I think this is an incredible episode to start the new year. Anyone that wants to feel better, they want to perform, they want to be inspired. They just want to be all around better. This episode's for you. You. Jesse Itzler, welcome to the Skinny Confidential, him and her show. This is the Skinny Confidential, him and her. We almost melted you before before you even got on the show. That was, I got to say, maybe the hottest sauna session that we've ever done. Because normally we start cold and then we warm up. That was a different level. Do you guys keep an attorney at your house? Because like, you, I mean, it was so hot. You could get sued for that. Well, now, no, the, the Jesse came to the house and he's like, listen, you need a pool gate here. You need a fire extinguisher here. <laughs> These guys up on the ladder. Like, like, so no, I'm just going to keep you around. I've been a dad for 15 years. So I'm looking at houses differently than some of your guests. By the way, you guys need a fire extinguisher by your son immediately. Do you actually? Yes. No, he's he was leaving. He's like, listen, put the fire extinguisher. I'm going to put a checklist together for you guys. Yeah. I also want to switch my sauna because of Jesse to a wood burning sauna instead of an electric. What's your sauna protocol? If someone's listening, what's your what's your ice bath sauna Jesse Itzler protocol? So it's a big part of my life because I love the way that it makes me feel. 
But I like to go in the sauna first for like 20 minutes and then I'll go in the cold plunge for like two minutes. Half of you, Lauren, half of you, you're a four minute person. And then I'll do that like two times, two or three times. And that's usually about a 45 minute session total. You are so productive. Like that's how I would describe you as a person. What things do you do on a daily basis that support you being this productive? Well, you know, I don't dilly dally anymore. So I have four children. You know, I have a I have businesses. My wife has her business. Obviously, she had spanks for 20 plus years. So as you get older and you evolve, your life system has to evolve. So like when I first started out in business, I was working 20 hour day. I was eating dinner at 11 o'clock and now I eat dinner at 5.30. So you have to change your, your, your day-to-day system as you evolve. So my life looks way different at 55 than it looked when I was 37. And for me, it's really important that I do things every day that I love to do. I have to check the Jesse box because if I don't do that and someone takes that away from me, if my wife says, you can't run right now, we have to do this or I'm going to resent her. I'm going to resent my boss or my team or whatever. So I, I really prioritize me every day and make sure that I do a couple of things that I like every day. And sauna and cold plunging is one, you know, playing with my kids, all, all those things are really important to me. So I make sure that I do that every day. You know, it's interesting. We have so many high performers, including yourself on the show. And I always you know, what we try to do is we try to extrapolate the information for the audience to, you know, apply that, you know, tactic or advice to their own life. But as you were just talking and as we were talking in the sauna, I was thinking like, you're so right about iterating your life as you go on. And I think about how I used to operate in my early twenties until even like my, you know, early thirties before I had children when we were first starting out and compared to how I operate now. And I'm still like, I think we're still really in it. We're still young. But I'd be lying if I said it's the same kind of grind that it was when I was in my early 20s. And so I think what's interesting when you talk is people will listen to someone like yourself on stage or they'll listen to you talk on a podcast like this and like, oh, I'm going to do what Jesse does. But I wonder when you're giving advice to say that 25-year-old Jesse, would you change the way you operated then and say to operate the way you do now? Or would you do what you did at that point? Do you get what I'm saying? I think the greatest gift I gave to myself in my 20s is that I lived in my 20s, like I was 20. A lot of my friends lost their 20s chasing, you know, work or trying to get promoted or whatever. And, you know, you're 20, you're going to make four, you'll make 10 times as much money in, not everybody, but most people sure. listening in their 40s and 50s than they will in their 20s and 30s because you're going to learn from your mistakes. You're going to have a bigger network. You're going to be better at whatever it is you're, you're doing. You're going to be really good. You might not be really good in your, you'll be really good in your thirties and forties. You can monetize it then. So I'm really glad that I got to try different things in my twenties and figure out like, what am I good at? What do I like to do? What am I passionate about? What don't I like to do? What am I not good at? So when I look back on it, look, it worked out pretty well for me, but that was the best gift that I gave to myself. Like I didn't worry about the fact that other people were on Wall Street making a lot more money than me. And I was sleeping on my friend's couches trying to figure out like businesses that were failing. Like, how do I make that work? Because at the end of the day, you know, I've, I, I'm playing the long game and I wasn't worried about, oh, so-and-so is making this or doing this and I'm only here. It's easy to compare. You never win when you compare yourself to someone else. There's always going to be someone better or making more money. So I never had that. I was really like comfortable. I, you know, 
I think if you're in your 20s, it's really important to believe in your in the end of your story. Like you have to believe he or she's out there. You have to believe that, you know, you're gonna be a millionaire. Like, so I used to my I used to walk into my office. Like my journey was really interesting. I had a very unconventional journey as an entrepreneur. And in my between the ages of 18 to 22, I slept on like really like 18 different couches. My friends, I wasn't like homeless, but my friends were putting me up couch to couch to couch. And I remember walking into my office at like 20 and turning to my partner and saying to him, like, we're millionaires. They just haven't paid us yet. And like, I believe that. I knew that was coming for me. And I think that that conviction is really important early on in your journey. Like how you talk to yourself in your 20s creates an environment of what you will become in your 30s and 40s. I really believe that. Who taught you to think like that? You mentioned we were talking, you know, before when we got out of the sauna, your father, was it your dad that taught you that? Was it a friend? Like how do you, like that young, how did you start thinking like that? Well, it's interesting because my father owned the plumbing supply house and we never talked about money. I mean, he he definitely breathed a lot of confidence and self-esteem and love into me, which was the great which is amazing. But like, we never talked about money. I didn't know anything. Like, you know, I never met like my first real millionaire I met, I was like 22 years old. I couldn't believe I knew someone that was a millionaire. I'm like, Steve Starker is a millionaire. I'm like, come rub your elbow next to me, man. I need some of that. My dad didn't give me like business lessons, but he gave me a lot of, you can, you know, try everything wisdom, you know, and like, it's okay to fail and, and those kind of messages. And that was important to me. I don't know. Like, I just, look, I think that everybody is born with a baseline of grit. They say that grit's like the number one indicator of future success. If we all raise grittier kids, there's a better chance they'd be successful. And when you do things that are challenging, you take your baseline up. Even just what we just did in the sauna, as crazy as it sounds, we all wanted to get out. But we all stayed in. Well, that least, that, that I sauna, wanted to get out. That sauna was intense. But yeah. but, but, I was okay. But, okay. I'm just kidding. <laughs> No, but like when you do those things, you take your baseline up and it never goes back down. So I was always doing those kind of things, getting out of my comfort zone early. Yeah, I think this is like, I, I haven't articulated this well on the show, but I think, you know, this is my, you know, I, I the last time I had a job was McDonald's when I was in high school. And ever since then, I've worked for myself in some form or the other. And what I try to point out to maybe people that are not as far along on the entrepreneurial path and you're much further than me is that. I've had so many punches in the nose in these last 16, 17 years that that grid has just slowly been built over time. And what I try to tell people is like, that's to me what those early years are for is like, take the punches, learn from your mistakes, you know, have some tenacity, build the grit, keep going. But where I used to get in so much trouble is I felt at a, at a young age, like I had to have it all at that point. And looking back, I wish I would have enjoyed a little bit more in that quote unquote twenties than, you know, putting so much pressure on myself because I don't think to your point, you really, you need to get some of that experience and some of that grit before you can even start really being taken seriously as an entrepreneur. Does that make sense? Like, Oh, definitely. Like a lot, like if I met a guy like you and you're like, Hey, I'm 22 years old and I'm ready to go like, Hey, that's good, but you need more repetitions and still so. And so I think what I try to point out to people now is that you have so much time and if you can enjoy yourself a little bit more figuring out who you are in that 20 to 30 year period, I just think it's invaluable. You actually just reminded me something I never thought about in my life ever. And it just came to me is like thinking about my dad and like what you asked a good question, like what was it? And 
you know, my dad was really comfortable being embarrassed. He was goofy. He was a goofy guy. Like he would wear, like he would wear stuff that didn't fit in in my town. And he was like, he didn't care. And he taught his, for, myself, my brother and my two sisters that it's okay to be embarrassed. And I'll tell you, man, once you get over the fear of being embarrassed, it's so liberating. It's so ridiculously liberating. And I think that's really the difference maker for me. That like, I was okay getting thrown out of offices. I got thrown out of offices all the time. I was okay with the word no. It didn't stop me from going until I got a yes. And that's been a theme in my life. You know, my book got rejected by 14 publishers till 15, number 15 gave me a chance. Every record company threw me out until like number 21, Delicious Vinyl signed me. I mean, every, it just goes on and on. And I think that comes from the, my dad and my mom just being like, it's okay if you get embarrassed or, or, you know, kicked down. And, and I think that's where it came from. Tell us the story of when you were kicked out of a building. Like, what do you mean? You got to give us a detail on that. I'm, I mean, it's, it's happened early in my journey. I was selling carrot and celery sticks door to door in New what? York city. Amazing. Yeah. I was like, people like are too, they, they don't have time. This is like before Uber eats. They yeah. don't have time to go out and get lunch. Like I'll, I like carrot and celery sticks. <laughs> Everybody probably likes carrot and celery sticks. <laughs> I'm going to be the carrot and celery king. So I like went to the Korean deli. I got like all these different, you know, I got all these carrots and I showed up at these offices and started selling them, you know, door to door, knocking on the door that lasted a day. Then I sold t-shirts at giant stadium that I made up. I got, I'm, I'm still banned from giant stadium. No way. I was selling them illegally in the parking lot. I got thrown out of that. Still to this day, you can't go there. I mean, I'm sure like I, I look different, but I'm sure I'm on a list. <laughs> And even like, as I got older at Marquee Jet, when I had this, which was a company that my partner and I started when we had our first meeting at NetJets, which is the company that we ended up partnering with, our meeting went 12 minutes. They had, they, had the they had 650 airplanes, private jets, and we wanted to use that fleet to create a company to sell a, jet, a, a private jet card. They were the only game in town. They, they say, no, there's no business. So we had to get a yes. And we got a meeting with the CEO and 11 minutes into the meeting, I was, I was 28 years old. He literally looked at my partner and I, and he said, if you think I'm giving two 28 year old kids who probably didn't break a thousand on their SAT, which I got a 980 on my SAT, so it pissed me off. He's like, there's no chance. And he threw us out. And we ended up getting another, a follow-up meeting. And ultimately at that meeting convinced him that our idea was valid. And that company went on to do $5 billion in sales. For the audience, if they don't know what that is, what, can you explain what kind of card you created? Yeah. So our idea was, could we make flying private more accessible and affordable to a bigger audience? So we created a 25-hour debit card. So basically, it would be like you owned your own plane. Your plane would be ready on six-hour notice anywhere in the country. You would prepay for 25 hours. So let's say you paid 100 grand. You get 25 flight hours. And if you flew from Austin to Atlanta and it was a two hour flight, you'd have 23 hours left. So you had all the benefits of owning your own airplane without having to own it. And then when the card was expired and you were out of hours, you could just buy another card. So you didn't have to buy a plane, no pilots. We did all that. And the benefit to the person who owns that plane is they get to offset some of their costs by people booking time when they're not using it, right? No, the, the benefit of it was that they, they literally had, it was like they own their own private jet without having to 
own it. No, no, owning I'm saying for the owner of that plane, he got they got to offset some of the costs that they would have to operate the plane, and then it, it was much cheap, much cheaper, much okay. cheaper. Okay. Yeah. So when you're when you're coming, it up, worked by the way. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. When when you're coming up and you're getting all of these no's, what's going through your mind to keep pushing forward? Because I think a lot of people, one, you know, a lot of people have a fear of just getting started in the first place. To your point, maybe it's fear of rejection, or they don't want to be embarrassed, or they don't, you know, they're just, you know, they're they're worried about what that says about them as a person. But after, as you're getting the no's, how are you motivating yourself to keep going? Because I think that's also important to talk about. Yeah, I think, well, just to take one step back, there's an art to saying no now. You know, like no is so important to us. We have, we have, we're busy. We have kids. Like we can't say yes to everything. So if, if you invite me out to dinner on Thursday night, you know, first of all, I don't need to give you an, a reason why I can't go. A lot of people think like they come up with an excuse like, Michael, thank you so much. I just can't make it on Thursday. You guys, you and a bunch of guys go out to dinner. Now, I, when you're at dinner, I'm having fun with my, at my house, I'm playing, I'm going out to, on a date with Sarah, whatever I'm doing. I just call the, the, the host of, at the restaurant and say, hey, my friend Michael's there. I want to buy them dessert and send them a note saying, hey guys, wish I could be there thinking of you guys. I'll get the next one. Dessert's on me. Drinks are on me. The meal's on me. And th- now everyone there is like, oh my God, this guy's not even here and he's thinking of us. Like I'm now the star. I turned a no into the star of the dinner. So there's an art to saying no, and I don't delegate that. If it's a big no, it's coming from me. It's not coming from my assistant or anyone else. A big no isn't getting delegated. So there's like no is is actually an opportunity to to do amazing things. So just that's for starters. Good tip. Great tip. It's a good tip. And so I'm not scared. But what that did is it it doesn't make me scared because no one wants to. I don't want to be like known. Oh my God! I asked Jesse for 15 minutes of his time, and he said no. What an you know what a jerk. I don't. I want to be liked. We all want to be liked. In my 20s, I was really good at marketing and networking, and I had no budget, so I used to write 10 handwritten letters a day, literally for a year. In my when I was 22, 23 ish, I would write handwritten letters to about five to 10 people every day. That was my marketing campaign. And so think about that. If you write 10 letters a day over 300, that's 3,000 people. That's 3,000 seeds that you're planting over the course of a year. Now, they're not all going to be customers or your best friend, but you only need like one or two. So, so for starters, I was really good at that. And, and, and the no's that I got were really just the beginning of relationships. Because even though it was a no, I now have permission at a restaurant to go and say, oh, I'll, you know, I sent you an email, you didn't respond, but I just, you know, I just want to introduce, them. I have permission to do that now. I'm not coming out of thin air. So I'm always, even to this date, I'm still planting a lot of seeds. I still write handwritten letters because, you know, emails get deleted. There's just so much layers to get to the person, but everybody reads a handwritten letter. No one screens my mail for me, you know? So I'm, it's still a really effective strategy for me. The other thing I would just add to that, I don't mean to to go on and on, but I think no, that, no, go on. I know there's a, that that I'm a little bit older, so I'm talking from experience. I have the right to say this because I'm talk I've I've done it. I literally I I call it like the three minute miracle, but every day I, I invest about three minutes, and I write a DM because DMs are 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 also a good way, a handwritten letter or a text or an email, and I send it to to three people because if I do. 
three minutes, if I just take three minutes a day over the course of a year, that's a thousand seeds I'm planting. Like this is how it works, man. You got to put yourself out there. Going back to my dad, it's okay if you don't get 997 people responding, but three people are interested in your new, you know, whatever you're doing. So I'm, I'm really always top of mind consistently as a habit reaching out to people. And it's always one way, you know, it's like, Michael, I heard you like, I thought you might like this video on a new sauna heater that, cause I know you like saunas. I'm just, it's one way. I'm not asking for anything. You know, Lauren, I know you like pink. So I, I just saw this really interesting thing about, you know, I'm sending things that I think people would be interested in. I'm thinking of them. And that's a great way to break through the clutter. And it's a great way for people to feel like, wow, like he listens and, or he or she listens and cares. To round out your point, what you're saying, if you go back to your DMs, I think I reached out about, I want to say like five times before you came on the podcast. I feel like I reached out in 2000, 2021. We kind of talked back and forth. We kind of talked in 2022. We tried to make it happen. Like having you on the podcast was a result right. of planting seeds slowly. And so to see you at the house today, when I saw you, I said, this is so full circle because I've wanted you on the podcast for so long. You know, it's I funny, like that. even with the size of the platform that this has reached, this, you and I have kind of been slowly talking. I was just trying, like, like I'm looking, it's like we're May of 21, just like slowly, hey, what's going on? We see each other here and there. And like my whole thought process is like the right time will come along when it fits into your calendar, when there's, when something lines up. But I think some people, they, they send a message one time. It doesn't go the way they want it to go. They get discouraged. They never send it again. And I think there's there's an art to one being patient, but two, I'd like you to elaborate a little bit more on when you mean one way. Because I think sometimes people come in with an ask, but it's a self serving ask. Yeah, I does think that make sense? That's that's yeah. difficult. It's, it's like if for someone like you who's who's reached a level of success that you have, and there's lots of people DMing you all the time. And if I came and said, Jesse, you need to come on the show because I need you to come on the show because it'll help me with my show. That's, that's a wrong way to approach you. And I think that'd be the wrong way to approach me or Lauren or anyone else. I think people should understand a little bit more about the proper way to approach somebody. Yeah, I think that, you know, people are smart and people have in, their intuition usually, you know, you, you, you can you could tell if someone has a different motive or a different plan. And when you authentically reach reach out to somebody, you know, and compliment them or you know, guys, you guys, I, just, I was with you guys today. You're amazing parents. Like, I, I could just see how much you care about your kids, those Thank little you. girls, and, you know, how you prioritize your life together. And it's like, it's inspiring. That's one way. I'm giving you an authentic compliment at a time where other people might not be doing it. You're going to remember it. If I send you information, that's one way, meaning I'm not asking for anything in return. Hey, if you come on my podcast, I'll come on your, like, that's, that's trading. That's horse trading. We don't horse trade. That's not, that's not relationship building. And I found that, you know, I'm not good at a lot of things, but I am good at relationships. And I found that when you build, especially in your twenties and your thirties, it never ends, but that's the time where you have the most flexibility to build a network and, you know, say yes to everything. Like I'm in my fifties. I say no to mostly everything, but in my twenties, I said yes to as many things as I can, because I wanted to put myself in a situation where I could get lucky. Luck doesn't happen sitting home watching the Kardashians. It happens when you go somewhere where the universe can reward you. And then you got to be good at whatever you do. So in my 20s, I was putting myself 
I was putting myself out there and I, I was really, you know, networking. And when you build those deep, authentic relationships early on, the people in your 20s and 30s, in your 40s will be the p- people that are in positions of power. They'll be the decision makers. They'll be the owners of the studio. They won't be the podcasters. They'll be owners of the, the whole damn network. And when you build those relationships, the floodgates open. And I think that, you know, people look at business and through the lens, through the financial lens, they, they overemphasize the financial lens and they underindex on the spiritual side of it. Seriously, the spiritual side of the business. You know, how did you, not what did you do? How'd you do it? What was the culture you built? Were you philanthropic? What was your retention rate? Were you kind to your customers? Like that's a whole nother side. And any, not everyone's going to be great on the financial side. It's hard. Anybody can care the most. Anybody can care the most. You don't need a 1500 on your SAT. And people feel that, man. They, customers feel that. You guys are where you are because they feel the connection between you. They feel like you're really trying to provide, even me, you're trying to pull out tips. You want your customers to get value. People feel that. And, and, and that's something that often is neglected. When you look back on everything you do, what was the first big break that you had? The first break I ever had was at 22 years old, right after college, I got signed to a record deal. And in, I signed to a record label called Delicious Vinyl in California. And the reason why it was the biggest moment in my life, even to, to this date, other than meeting my wife, is because my dad, I had no connections. My dad owned the plumbing supply. I didn't have a lawyer. I didn't have a manager. I didn't have an agent. I had nothing. And I went to 14, like I said, all these record companies on my own. I would sit in the, in the lobby and hand them a, a cassette tape that I made on my answering machine with my, like, I, I know, and I got rejected, 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 and then I got a deal. And what that did to me, and for anyone listening, I think this is the lesson, is it proved to me that if I stay with something that matters to me, I can be successful. And, I, and it proved to me that, wow, I could do this myself. I don't need, you know, like I just did, the, if I just did this myself, what else can I do? And, you know, when people were, were on a day after here when we're recording this of the New York Marathon, for all the people that just ran the New York Marathon, they proved to themselves, all the first timers, that they can go further than they've ever gone in their life. And it's sending a message. They prove to themselves that they have more in the tank. And what that the lesson is that like our greatest problem is the limitations we put on ourselves are often self-imposed. So when you break through those limitations, it opens up this thing like, wow, I'm gonna go double my business plan. Like I got more in me. Like let's double the business plan here, man. So I got that at 21. And then- it was like, okay, all right, I'm gonna start a jet company. I have no airplanes. I have no money. I don't know anybody really that is in, I don't know anyone in aviation. We started a private jet company with no airplanes and no money and did $5 billion in sales. It wouldn't have happened if I didn't get the record deal. If I went to door number one and they said, you're out of here. And I said, oh, okay, I stink. There's no, I'm not sitting here with you guys. Yeah, it's just flexing that muscle and being able to understand that you can break past what you think you can do originally. And I think like, again, going back to enjoying 20s and 30s, 
the way that you think as you start to notch some of these wins under your belt and start to prove, I mean, even little things like going from the cold plunge and doing a minute and then going to two, the next time you're not, you're going to realize like, okay, I'm not going to even think about a minute. Cause I know already, I know I can do two. Like that's the floor. Now you're just setting these little things. And I think about that in business and in relationships and everything else. Like once you know, you can break past this, that's your new starting point. Like that's not the end now. That's the beginning. 100%. And, I, and, and by the way, I'm not suggesting that you don't work hard in business sure. in your twenties, but you know, time is undefeated. And you're never getting your 20, no one's beaten time. And the only way that you can really even compete is to do things that time can't take away. So for example, I just rode my bike across the country with 10 friends. If I were to get sick tomorrow and couldn't do that again, time can't take that away. I already did it. It can't take away marquee jet or my record deal or selling carrot and celery sticks. I already did it. So what I'm saying is in your 20s, when you have an opportunity, even in any age, if you have an opportunity to create a memory or a moment or do something, you take it and you get more of those opportunities usually in your 20s because just, you know, you're young and vibrant, healthy enough to do it. And, and that's what I'm saying. Take advantage of that. You, you know, we were talking, Michael and I were talking before Lauren about my dad who passed away recently from Alzheimer's. and. You, you know, I had never really had grief in my life. I've had such a lucky life. I mean, the luckiest situation, you know, never really experienced anyone super close to me dying, just came from a great house, married a great girl, have healthy kids. I mean, I always say to Sarah, like, look where we are right now, because how does it get better? Like, you know, your parents are alive. Like, it's important to take time and Think about that stuff, man. Like we got healthy kids. You know how lucky we are that we have healthy kids. Like, do you think you have problems? I don't think there's any greater stress than when the kid when a kid gets sick. And I like when I think about parents that go through that. It's like I don't know any. I don't think there's anything worse. Right. I don't think so. Is. When my dad passed away, I had no regrets because I completely emptied the tank in our relationship, and he emptied the tank in, a, in like in, in in his relationship with me. And like when you pour all your soul into something, you don't have any any regrets. For me, I don't like I feel weird just talking about this, but like I've really lived my life. I feel like this is like a memoir for me. I don't you know. Guys are getting me emotional. Like pouring so much soul into what I do. Like I was saying about the relationships and stuff. When you say you 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 guys poured everything into the uh, out of the tanks in the relationship. Do you just mean like you guys like you got everything you needed to get out with each other? You went through every issue. You talked about everything you wanted to talk. Like I, yes. I don't think. I mean, I don't think a lot. I think a lot of people, unfortunately, don't get there with their parents. Very rare. No, I know, and I I feel so lucky about that. And like my dad showed up for everything. You know, every picture in my photo book, my parents are in it. Of big moments in my life, they're in every picture, and. When I had kids, I didn't get a manual, but I had my mom and my dad. For a lot of people growing up, when they become parents, if they didn't have a great relationship or they came from a maybe dysfunctional household, like maybe their role models were someone they saw on the parents they saw on like on TV, like the Brady Bunch or the, you know, whoever. Like, they, sure. so I got to to experience that, and now I get to pass it on to my kids. No, I think that's huge. And to your point, like not a lot of people are that lucky. So when, when your dad was going through Alzheimer's, how early on did you know that that's what it was? And what did you do personally to kind of manage it? Because that's a very, my, my grandmother passed from Alzheimer's and I obviously was closer, but not nearly as close as I am with my father. 
I imagine that was extremely trying on you. How do you manage that and stay patient and not get frustrated and still, you know, give him the care that he needs? Well, the crazy thing is if we were all born a hundred years ago, if we were born a hundred years ago, where, where do your parents live? They live in San Diego still. And what about you, Lauren? San Diego. Yeah. So you guys, you guys live 2000 miles from your parents. If we were born a hundred years ago, you'd live in the same house, you, you know, or in the same block or in the same town and wherever, wherever you based, no one was living 2000 miles away, sure. you know, and now I'm here, my brother's in, in Florida, my mom's over here, everyone's so scattered. So in my thirties, forties and fifties, cause I went right, I went from college right to the pros, you know, I was right in it. And my parents moved down to Florida. Like I didn't see them that much. I mean, I thought I did, but maybe I saw them three times a year. So from 20 to 70, if I saw them two times a year, I saw them like a hundred times ever again in my life. You know, and in, in there, when I got older and had kids, you know, as my parents, I see them like twice a year. So the last five years of my parents' life, think about it. If you only see your parents a couple of times a year and they live, you see them twice a year, they live five years, you get 10 visits with them. It got like, I, I wish I had that time back. I don't think I've heard anyone ever contextualize it that way. It like gets your wheels spinning a lot more, especially as you have aging parents. You start to, If you start to think about it in terms of visits instead of years. Yeah, I mean, I was talking to my friends the other day because like, you know, I'm 55 and I had a group of entrepreneurs that I was coaching at my house. And I was saying like, what's, where are you going to be five years from now? No one really can answer it. But I said, no, think about it. Like my mom's 92. So in, in five years, my son is 14. One of my oldest son. So in five years from now, I doubt my mom, I hope she's here, but like, is she going to live to be 97? I don't know, man. My son will be in college. I'll be 60. I'll be 60, 20 years from 80. Like, so when I think about that, it creates a lot of urgency around what I want to do right now and how I want to spend the time with my son, you know, because if he's in college, he's gone. So, you know, when you think of- when you oh. think about five people, no, but people are so obsessed with right now. What am I doing this weekend? What are you guys doing for Thanksgiving? It's in two weeks. Well, what's your, what does it look like for you in five years when you're 42 and you know, and your daughters are now in going into eighth or ninth grade, you know, or whatever, eighth grade. What does that look like for you? I'm dying that you're calling it my daughters because it's a daughter and a son. But I have to tell you something really funny. I was just close. As a side note, no, everyone thinks that he is a girl because he oh, has such long hair. Oh, I didn't even His think about that. His hair is so long. And ever, the well, other day, someone said to Michael- Have I been saying daughters? It's really, it's really funny, though, because someone came up to Michael, like this old guy at church the other day, and he said, you have a beautiful daughter. And it was our son. <laughs> And we're not, we're like, dr like dressing him appropriately, but he, he has I just sat hair. in a sauna that was 297 degrees <laughs> for 45 minutes. No, I think it's funny that you keep saying daughters. I'm, it's hysterical. No, but I mean, well, Sorry, yes, Towns. but it, no, I think to your point, looking at time that way is such a different approach. Unfortunately, I think many people, I mean, you know, time, time is, you know, is undefeated, like you said. And I think sometimes we think we have a lot more than we actually do, right? All we're all living longer, these long, beautiful lives. But I think when you contextualize it into visits or time with kids or time, it it starts to feel a lot smaller. Yeah, I mean, I always like to think of it in terms of summers because the average American lives to be seventy-eight. So even if you're thirty-seven, 
that's only 40 summers left, you, you know? And like, that's not a lot of summers or 40 ski trips or whatever. And when you think of it that way, you know, like you don't want to waste a minute of that sum of those summers, you know? It just forces you to be, at least for me, if it, it repositions me to be a doer. Just being aware of it makes me want to take the trip I wasn't going to take or, or, not, or not push it. Because you don't want to waste the summer. You don't want to waste the time. Let me tell you about a hack that has saved my life. I need my sleep. And I have two kids under three. So it's a lot. One thing I have done that I could not live without, though, is I've implemented a gently weighted sleep sock. The one that I use is by Dreamland Baby. It's so cute. It's neutral. But most importantly, my baby, Towns, associates it with sleep. So when I pull it out, he knows it's time to go to bed and he immediately calms down because it's gently weighted. And it makes so much sense because I use a weighted blanket at night and it does something to your nervous system that just like immediately relaxes you. So this one is very, very slightly weighted. It just gives you a feeling like the baby is like in a hug and it helps them sleep. It helps them stay asleep too. This is one gift that I will give every single new mother, like all my friends who are new mothers. I'm like, you have to try this. It's super interesting. The brand was created by this woman who noticed when she put throw a blanket on her baby, he would immediately calm down. So she had this moment and she's like, oh my God, I have to create these gently weighted sleep sacks. And she did. And she called it Dreamland Baby. And it is literally saving lives everywhere. Go to dreamlandbabyco.com and enter our code skinny at checkout. You receive 20% off site-wide and free shipping. This offer is for new and existing customers. Dreamlandbabyco.com, enter our code skinny. One thing I do not screw around with and one thing that I do not change because I love it so much is my multivitamin. The one that I take has a heavy emphasis on vitamin D. A lot of people don't get vitamin D in their diet, so this is really important. It is by Ritual. You know it. Essential for women, 18 plus. Why I'm obsessed with this brand is everything is traceable. So you can go on and you can actually see where their high quality ingredients come from. Everything is clean and bioavailable. And most importantly, there's nine key nutrients in their two delayed release capsules. So I take two per day. I do it on an empty stomach. It's super gentle on an empty stomach. It has like a minty essence, so it's not harsh in the morning. And this is a brand that I've been taking throughout the last three years. I took the prenatal when I was pregnant with Zaza. I took the postnatal after both my babies. And I just believe in the brand so much so that I even had the founder on. I just love her ethos and her mission. It's absolutely incredible. Ritual multivitamins are vegan, non-GMO, project verified, gluten and major allergen free, certified B Corp and made traceable. Like I said, we have a code for you, obviously. No more shady business. Ritual is essential for women. 18 plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. Get 40% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash skinny. This offer is only available through January 31st. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash skinny for 40% off. Quick break to talk about Hinge. I am sitting here looking at my producer, Carson, and we were talking the other day. I did this whole poll in the office. I say, hey, what is the best dating app out there? And Carson said, I found my current girl on Hinge. 
And then many of the women in this office also said that they had found their partners on Hinge. So what is Hinge? Hinge is the dating app designed to be deleted. Why? Hinge gives you a sense of someone's personality and lets you share your own. You get to know potential dates through their unique answers to prompts, plus get a sense of someone's dating intentions and what they're looking for. I think this is for the serious dater, the person who's actually interested in developing meaningful relationships. I love that this app is designed to be deleted because it means it's designed to get people an actual relationship with people that they can actually build a life with. When it comes to successful online dating, the office results are in. Hinge seems to be the clear winner where people are finding meaningful, lasting relationships where people can actually get to know people in a meaningful way and where they can authentically share themselves as well. So definitely check it out if you're thinking about getting into the online dating scene or you're looking to switch it up and meet new people. So if you're somebody who's sick of putting yourselves out there and not getting a reciprocal return, and you just want to meet quality people who are looking for quality relationships, not trying to mess around, not trying to play the field, looking to get in a serious relationship with a like-minded person, definitely check out the Hinge app. Download Hinge and find someone worth deleting the app for now. Again, download the Hinge app on the App Store now. What's so interesting to to me about you is that you have done so many things after another. So what I'm trying to say is I think a lot of young guys that make money would have a hit like you had with your jet situation. And then they would kind of maybe open a restaurant or try something else or put the kind of sit on the money, but you kept it going. You are a doer. What propels that? When you sold your first company, did you immediately want to do something else? Or have you always been like someone who wants that momentum? I think for me, like a couple of things come to mind. For starters, when I'm at the end of the journey, I don't want to look back and be like, I was the 80% version of me. I don't want to be like, that's a B minus. I don't want to be a B minus. So it's, and I don't, I'm not one to celebrate like past. I don't have any pictures. I don't own a marquee jet hat or Zico Coconut, any of the businesses that I have, I don't have any, of like it's done. I'm like, okay, I did that. What, like, I'm, I have like a what's next mentality. And that's just the way that I'm wired. I love newness and challenges. And I, and I still have an underdog mentality. I still like, I, didn't, I never got all fancy, you know? I still, I'm still hungry. I still like, feel like I have a chip on my shoulder, like a lot to prove. I'm competitive. So I think all of those things come into play. How do you think you can, you, if somebody wants to have more of those traits, how do you think you can cultivate that? Do you think you can, or do you think that's something you're born with? Again, I can only talk about it from my own perspective. Let me answer it this way. My son, my brother asked me how, how my son was doing in swimming. He's a pretty good swimmer when he was like nine. And I'm like, he's, you know, he's doing all right, but he just doesn't have that eye of the tiger. And my brother said, oh, that's okay. As long as he's happy. And I'm like, nah. He's happy playing Fortnite and eating Hagen dazs Like, is that really what we want? Like, <laughs> I, like, is should he like try to reach his potential? Like he's so to me, it's like it's that common for everybody. I think it's like we all have so much potential. There's so much opportunity in front of all of us, regardless of our skill levels. I think it's important, at least for me, it's important. Like, I feel like I have so much more in me. I feel like I haven't even done the big thing yet. I really do. Like, I feel like, I just feel like that. I feel very driven. I think also, you know, I talk to a lot of young men, especially, 
And I think people glamorize the hit. Like I'm going to do this and I'm going to have this one big hit and then I'm going to be happy and then I'm going to settle down. And I try to tell people that like, it's not the hit that you, that you're actually going to like as much as the process and continuing to get better at that process. I I agree with you. And I think when I look back on my journey, what I'm most proud of is, and I've had, I've had a couple of exits in business. I've had a lot of failures too. I've had a lot of businesses that didn't work or, or certainly a few, but what I, what, what I'm really proud of is, you know, how I did it first of all, but also that like on the other side of that business, which took a lot of energy, I've really invested a lot in my life resume. Cause like, that's my business resume, but at equally, if not more important is your life resume. So I just, I mentioned earlier, like the bike ride across the country, those kind of things, like to mix adventure and spend time with my kids and have great relationships with my friends and all that is, is again, back to the spiritual side is so important. So it's not so much like selling a company than starting another one. To me, that was just business. I don't even really sell it. I never think about it, but I think about my life resume a lot. You know, the adventures I want to take. And as we enter 2024, you know, before the show started, I was showing you guys this calendar that I had and how I kind of map out. I'm a big planner. I'm like calendar obsessive. I feel like if you don't plan it, it won't happen. And like, it's hard to create newness because we live in routine. Yep. It's like, where does newness come from? You have to like plan it, it you know? And I've been doing something for the last, I didn't even realize I was doing it, but now I know I'm doing it. Now I plan it. But I do I do three things every year around this time that really help me with that life resume. The first thing that I do is there's an old Japanese ritual. Have you guys ever heard of this? Called the Masogi. Yeah, the and, big, it's like a, a challenge that's almost unattainable. Right? Yeah. It almost breaks you, but you can- Michael's the fourth Japanese. Yeah. You would never so, know that. Yeah, yeah. Me, but- so we, we've kind of taken the liberty to, to tweak that, but the notion around it is that like you do one big year defining thing a year. So like at the end of 2023, we're working so hard, we have families, like what do you have to show for it? What'd you do? You know, it's important that you can look back on your journey and be like, oh, in 2015, I wrote a book, Living with the Seal. 20, 2017, I launched a new company. 2019, we started our podcast. Like what's that one? So every year I have one big year defining thing. And so I, I put that on my calendar. And it doesn't always have to be a business thing. It could be like, Absolutely. Was, the, was the bike thing the- Right, okay. just anything that's challenging. So I do that. And I'm gonna tell you why this is important and, and, and you're gonna freak out. The second thing I do is I add every other month, I do something I normally went to done on like one weekend day. So like instead of watching the Georgia football game, I might take my kids fishing. I might go to a museum. I might go to a lecture. I do like a mini adventure. So I'll do like every other month Every eight weeks, I should be able to take a day, like one out of every, you know, 60 days to do something I normally went to done. So at the end of the year, I'll have six little mini adventures. Now, here's why that's so important. If you're 37, I'm just going to go to you, Michael, for a second, because I'm looking at you. And you, again, you live to be 77, the average American. You'll, you're going to live way longer, especially the way you're doing your biohacking, but that's 40 years. That would give you 40 year-defining things on your life resume, 40 unbelievable things, and that will give you 240 mini-adventures that you didn't have. If, you, if you're 78 and you have 40 insane events in your life and 240 mini-adventures, like you crushed life. 
forgetting about the business, you fucking crushed life. And how do you decide what these mini adventures are? They could be like, I just, it's, I'm just super intentional about adding things throughout the year that I normally wouldn't have done. And, and usually it's, it's around my friends. It could just be like my college friends come over. You know, I took my son to Washington DC on a father-son trip last year. You know, we went skiing. It's just things like that. And I, I put them on my calendar. And because if you don't, your calendar, if you don't put them on your calendar early, your calendar is going to fill up with Zoom calls, weddings, appointments, kids sporting events, you know, and, and then you have nothing to show for it. Lauren and my best friend, they make fun of me because they're like, why is this guy planning these trips and these excursions? I don't excursions? make fun of you. I love it. I'm so, obsessed with it. Keep planning no, but it. I, I'm going to put it on my big ass calendar. You, similar, you keep planning it. Similar to you, I feel if I don't plan it that way, it's just not going to get done. I'm going to get Michael's stuck a big running this. Are you a planner? I'm a planner like a psycho on from a micro perspective, but like but, day to day. Yes. Michael's looking way far out. I'm more detail. He's more like, I, I always like get, you know, my cross to bear. And sometimes I get in trouble. Is that it maybe sometimes live too far in the future. I don't live in the past at all. I don't think about when what happened said yesterday. That you should have your like five years written out. He has his five years written out in months. Yeah. I, wow. I, yeah. He's very, <laughs> that's the Japanese in him. He's yeah, but very, I, you know, very. Like I, like I, that's my problem. Is like I go so far sometimes that I gotta. He will bring be it down talking the... about like when we're sixty-two. I'm like, can I just get through the fucking morning? I need a coffee and like <laughs> no, I, but, I need to get a workout. But in the here, sauna. here's why, and I, I hate to be one of these corny people, but everything I've ever written down, and even if it's vague, if it's written down a year, two, three, I've either hit it or gone past it. This is it. true. And I look back on some of this writing because I keep the notes and I read it sometimes to be like, oh, wow, look what I thought I could do compared to what I actually did. And this could be anything. It'd be like, oh, I want to like be able to get in shape or I want to you know, be able to run this far. I want to go to lift like, it, little things. But I think sometimes the difficulty in my personal life is if I'm living too far, you have to anchor yourself sometimes with the presence. But to your point, I don't think about the past at all. If, if I have a success or if I sell a win, it's like that happened, a move one. I can't, I don't think on it. I don't dwell on it. If someone upsets me, I don't think on it. I don't dwell on it. I'm never angry with anybody. It's just like, go, go, go. Yeah. I'm, I'm sim- very similar in that. When you move from your first company to your second company, how do you decide to go from what you're doing to beverage? Like what's I what's the interim? I want to know like what is going through your head of how you decide to do something that's completely different on your next business. So I follow my enthusiasm. Let me tell you where I'm at now and then I'm going to go back to when I was 20. Now it's aggravation versus reward. Like I want low aggravation. So if something's high aggravation but it might have high reward, you have to weigh the aggravation factor. Give too. an example of what you mean by that. Well, like I had an idea recently that I in, in, that had to do with aviation, making commercial aviation feel like private aviation. It was a big idea, and I had a partner lined up, and I showed the whole plan to my wife, and she's like, "This is an unbelievable idea. Don't do it." <laughs> and I was like, "What are you talking about? This is bigger than Marquee Jet. Like, this is huge." She's like, "It is." but do you want to take calls at two in the morning from a customer that shows up? Do you want to blah, blah, blah? Do you want to go to Japan? And I was like, no. She's like, it's just not worth it at this stage of your life. So it was a high aggravation to build it, to build a team, to get a CEO, to build the infrastructure. So I decided not to do it. So that, that would be an example of that. Another example would be like getting into a partnership with, with, for a great idea. But the people, like I'm on friend reduction right now. I'm on friend reduction. What is friend reduction? Like, I don't, I don't, like, if it's a high aggravation 
management team or I don't love the guys or girls that are doing it, that would be another example of high aggravation. Like this is just, this person's like, always, you know, always down or, you know, so that, that would be another high aggravation person. Friend reduction is just like, I've outgrown a lot of my friends and they've outgrown me. We've got, which is okay. We were great friends when we were thirties, but you know, they're like, you've changed so much, Jess. Yeah. I have four kids and I'm married. Yeah. I'm not getting invited to as many bachelor parties as I used to. I'm not going to the bar. Like you're single. Yeah. I've changed. You're right. Yeah, <laughs> like, I, I, I always say, like, like Lauren says, are you upset your friends aren't calling? I'm like, listen, I got two young kids at home. My friends, I'm not out at the bars or the clubs till two in the And I can't be. I look like a, a total creep if I was. Exactly. It's, it's, just, it's just what it is. It's not that I don't love those guys anymore that we didn't have great times. It's just like, they're single. I'm not. Wait 10 more years and watch what happens. Because your friends, you know, of the 10 guys that I rode my bike across the country with, I only knew one of them 10 years ago. And now they're like my closest friends. Nine of those guys I met over the last 10 years. So, you know, your friend groups are going to change as you get older and your friends are going to be, become the parents of your, of your children's friends and people you meet in school. It just, you, like I said, your life in the beginning, when we opened up this talk, your life model is going to evolve and that's okay. So what, what, but, when you decided to switch career or I guess you didn't switch, but you decided to, to move on to the next thing, was yeah. that a lot of ag- aggravation in no, what you chose? So, so that that's now. So back then it was enthusiasm. It was, I saw an opportunity, you know, like I switched from private aviation to coconut water. Entrepreneurs do one of two things. They either make something that exists better or they create something new. And I'm a runner. So I had this private jet company. I'm a big runner. I was training for a hundred mile race that I did. And I did a lot of research around hydration and nutrition and discovered coconut water. And this is in 2006. So I, I started drinking coconut water. I felt great. And I'm like, this is the fountain of youth. Like this is going to be the next big thing in beverage. And that's what led me on. And there was nothing in the marketplace. So, so I, I, as an entrepreneur, saw an opportunity to create something new, bring something new to the market. And, and I was really, and I had a lot of enthusiasm about that. You know, if the passion, you can have a great idea, but if, the passion isn't there, you know, the obstacles are going to be too big. You have to have the passion and the enthusiasm around the journey, not even your widget, around the journey of what you signed up for, for it to be successful. Do you know what I mean by that? Yeah. I think what, like when people, sometimes we, when we speak and I, the last time we saw you, we were all speaking, I always say to people like that when people say, Hey, if you find your passion, you won't work a day in your life. There's some truth to that. But the thing is you're always going to work. It's just the passion gives you the ability to get through all the shit that comes with the work. Yeah. Right. Like I, I never liked selling airplanes at Marquee Jet. And like we had a private jet. That's what we did. We sold airplanes, but I had incredible enthusiasm for the customer service, for meeting people, for building the relationships, for like the journey of that entrepreneurial. It wasn't about the airplanes. People think it's like always the product. Of course you have to believe in your product and like your product. But I had such a passion for like starting this company that it didn't matter if it was, you know, whatever it was, um, it happened to be airplanes that I was going to get behind it. Yeah. I always get nervous. We talked a little bit about this in the sauna. Sometimes you'll hear people and maybe they haven't ever had a business or they haven't worked and they're telling people, well, you find your passion, you don't work and do these. It's like, you, you're always going to have to work. You're going to have to work in the gym. You're going to have to work on yourself. You're going to have to work in your relationship. You're going to have to work on your business. 
but the excitement and the passion enables you to get through all of that when it gets really challenging, which it inevitably will in every area. I totally agree. And that, that's why I think it's important to have things on your calendar that excite you because if you're stuck at a job that you don't love or, you, you know, or, or you're, you're on a downward spiral or whatever, and you have something on your calendar that you're excited for, it changes the game a little bit. You know, like it really gives you something to look forward to and shoot for. It becomes your North Star. And, and that's really helped me a lot getting through certain situations. Like this is a tough time, but I'm, I'm going to Puerto Rico on Thanksgiving. It's going to, you know, it helps me get there. What point through all of this in your career did you meet your wife? And how did you guys meet? Was it like a first date? As a husband and a father, you've obviously done very well. It's relevant to talk about. Yeah, I met my wife later in life. So I met Sarah had Spanx. She started Spanx when she was, I want to say like 28, 30, something like that. And I met her when she was 36. And I was, I got married at 40 and Sarah was 37. And you had already sold your beverage company by this time. I sold Marquee Jet and I sold the beverage company a year into our marriage. And she still owned 100% of Spanx. And we met at a, she was a customer of ours at Marquee Jet. We met at a party that we had in Vegas. And we got married a year later. Did you guys like each other right away? So the way that this, the, the way that this was set up was we had 4,000 customers. Every rep from the, each territory was allowed to invite one person. So Georgia, the, our Georgia sales rep was allowed to invite one person to this party, this poker tournament we're having in Vegas. And the Georgia rep sent a picture of Sarah. She had like an apple on her head. It was like a promo picture. And I was like, don't send anyone other pictures or anyone. Make sure she goes to the Vegas. Make sure she comes. And uh, yeah, we were married a year later. So you guys were synergistic. She didn't know. I knew. I don't think she, I had to like, I had to, you know, I had to put on a whole, it took me like, I had to fight. I think it's so cool because you guys are both powerhouses on your own and you've been able to come together and support each other without, from what I see, you guys are cheerleading each other. There's no jealousy. That's not always the case. I've interviewed a lot of people where there's been divorces because the husband can't handle the woman's success or the woman can't handle the man's success. How have you guys maintained such a synergistic, happy marriage with four children? I mean, what are the tips? You said what, six, 16 years now? Yeah. 15, and four kids. Years. Wow. I think part of it is we got married older later in life. Uh-huh. And, you know, Sarah had to go through all of her twenties and thirties, like, you know, when are you gonna get married? Are you dating anyone? Like, it's you so know, annoying. and she went all the way to thirty seven, not all the way, but she was thirty seven. And so so but she was already independent with Spanx and I was independent. So that that helped a little bit, you know, getting old getting married later. We had I was more mature. I wasn't ready to get married and neither was she in our twenties or even our early thirties. She was focused on her business, you know, and, but to answer your question, I th so I think that helps. No, I think, look, for when Sarah's star is, is shining bright, I'm her biggest cheerleader. And when my star shines, she's my biggest cheerleader. Without that, like, it would be so weird. I, I don't know. So, no, I mean, and, and part of being in a partnership is like when you struggle, the other person feels it, you know, and like we, we both share in that and it's worked out great, but it's, you know, it's, I could see how it could be really hard to be married to a successful woman. Well, I think this is, you know, we talked about this a little bit when we got out of the sauna. 
I think a lot of men struggle if they are not maybe the main breadwinner or the main star of the household. I mean, that's, you know, the way that most people, the most, most examples of a household, especially our generation is like the guy went to work, the mom stayed home. Like, you know, that's obviously changed drastically. My example as a kid is my mom always worked. So I've always been attracted to women that were, were doing that kind of thing. But I think a lot of men are excited for their wife or their girlfriend until all of a sudden maybe the wife or their girlfriend starts to be more successful in some area. And I, and I wonder your perspective on that. I love, I mean, I love when great things happen to Sarah and I'm always asking her like, how can I support her in that? And she does the same for me. And I think that's what a team, that's an important part of it, of a team. There's zero competition at all. And we're a team, you know, it's like if she's winning, our family's winning if she's losing. And we share that with our kids too. You know, we have family dinner almost every night and or certainly if we're both in town every night. And, you know, we talk about these things. Like we ask our kids, like what happened this week that was good at school? What happened that wasn't good at school? And we have family meetings on Sunday mornings and everyone gets to talk about their week. And then each one of the, of my, of the, of my, my sons and my daughter, their brother, brothers and sisters, stick up for each other. Like it's important that, that that team and that family unit is aligned. So it's not just Sarah and I, it's even our kids, you know? Um, I mean, my, yeah, it's so communication is really important. It's, it's, it sounds like that with what you, the story that you told about your big idea when you told her and she said, do you really want to be doing, it sounds like you guys are very like aligned as a team. Yeah, we are. I mean, she, Sometimes she'll give me input and I, and I'll be like, no, this is, I really want to do it. Uh huh. And again, so and you, then you, know you, that feels and then like? you have to come to your own senses and you have to make it seem like it's their idea, mm-hmm. even though it's not their idea and it's the woman's <laughs> totally. idea and we've puppeteered the whole thing. It's exhausting. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> and you know, like, and then the other, like, it's just business. Like we don't, we're not defined by that. You know, I guess outside Sarah is known as the Spanx girl. I mean, you're the Spanx lady. She gets that a lot. But we never talk about it. Like we're not, she's not defined by it in our house. You know, she's Charlie's mom. She's Tepper's mom. Like we don't, I never talk about my, I never even think about business or my, or the, what the public thinks. Like I never think about that. I'm thinking about how do I get my kids better for their football game? How do they do better on a test? How do I help them deal with like bullying? And like, how do they say thank you? And please, like, that's the only thing on my mind. How are you guys with all your successes going to raise kids? Like, like what, like, how are you doing it in this day and age? It's real. It's how, how do you also, there, there is such a gray area with this and a finesse of how to raise children with, you guys have been so successful. How do you keep them humble? I'm just curious, like how you guys look at it. The hardest thing for me is as a parent is one of the hardest things is recognizing that like our children are on their own journey and it's not my journey. So like, you know, like I used to play basketball till midnight at my mom, like, Jesse, get inside. My kid wants to play, my oldest son wants to play Fortnite. And I can't be like, that's his journey. So at first that would tear me apart. I'd be like, why aren't you outside playing basketball? That's what I did when I was a kid. And then I'd be like, whoops, like that's, this is his journey. He doesn't want to play basketball. You can make a shitload of money playing Fortnite. <laughs> a shitload. Those those kids my make dad, like my dad billions told me, of dollars now. He told me all the time. He's like, 
You know, basically, I know you're right. I get would your, not be surprised if I'm interviewing your son in ten years. Get inside <laughs> and play Fortnite. Listen, my stay I, inside and play. You need more. He's sitting on the mic. I'm like, right. so how was your childhood? He's like, well, my dad used to tell me that I should go play basketball, but I, all I really wanted to do was play Fortnite. I, exactly. I always say my dad used to give me so much shit for playing video games all the time when I was a kid. And so I quit. And I was like, if I was born a little yeah. bit later, you never know. I'd be a multimillionaire Fortnite streamer instead of a podcaster. Right. Right. There's just like the opportunities that exist. But still, no, I, I hear what you're saying. It's just, we think about this all the time. I, it's just, all the time. I, I want to keep my kids humble and grateful. And like you said, saying thank you. And I want to make sure without micromanaging it, it's a finesse. No, but I want to also <laughs> like, I don't, there's this book that Lauren and I are reading together in bed. I've just, it's, it's, it's a weird, interesting book that I stumbled across on Amazon. It's, it's 32 letters from Rockefeller to his son. And wow. the very first letter starts out with basically saying, your start does not guarantee where you finish. And he's basically coaching his son saying, you're going to start a lot further than where I did. It's a phenomenal. It's such it, a good book. And he talks about like- It's phenomenal. such a good book. And it's he, unbelievable. He talks about how he had very humble upbringings and how his like books in high school were given to him by neighbors and like how he had to like work for $5 a week and all this stuff. And his son was obviously going to start off the, the heels of the richest man in the world. And he basically coaches, like was basically warning him, like you have to put in this effort. And he tells this story about these kids that he's like, they're self-made millionaires. And this guy says, yeah, they started with 20 and now they only have one. And the letters are interesting because Lauren and I, obviously we want to work and we want to, you know, be able to provide, but at the same time, we want to go back to what you were talking about earlier, which is like, how do you give these kids enough grit so that they don't rest on their laurels and they- You know, for Sarah and I, we try to like the most important thing is is our children's self-esteem. That they have good self-esteem. So we want to do things that boost their self-esteem. So part of that is putting them in situations like we praise the effort. We praise the effort. So it's not like, oh, you scored three touchdowns today. It's like, you know, I love watching how all that hard work you 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 did this week paid off. You know, I love watching how hard you tried. It's always the, we praise the effort. And then, you know, disappointment's been stripped from kids. They make every team, there's participation trophies. You have to invite every kid to the birthday party and and where I go to, where our kids go to school. Like every kid in the classroom has to go to the birthday parties and disappointment's a part of life. Like you can't take away disappointment in in a kid's childhood. You can't like, you know, so my dad, when they used to throw out a baseball catch, if my mitt was down, my dad would let the ball hit me in the face instead of catching it. And like, I want to block every ball that comes at my kids, but you need to get hit in the face sometimes. And we have to let our children experience disappointment. So nothing to do with money, nothing to do with stat. Like let your kid, it's okay. They need to have a coping mechanism. They, so those little things are really important. Self-esteem is really important. You know, sticking up for yourself, feeling good about. So doing things that your kid, make your kids feel good about themselves is really important. And we try to we try to put them in situations, not give them, put them in situations where they can experience that. And what are things that you guys might consider disciplining them for? Like, is there a behavior or something that they would maybe do that you're saying like, hey, we don't allow that or... Like for Lauren and I would say, like if we if our kids ever bullying anyone, like that's going to be a big problem for them. Absolutely, it's not fly. I think the most I think that's an individual decision for for each parent. But I think, you know, when you're dating, 
you never, before you get married, I never said to Sarah, how do you want to discipline our kids when we have children? <laughs> Where do you want to send, do you want to send them to a religious school? Do you want them to date within our religion or out, like, do you want them to eat healthy foods or fast food? Like we never had that conversation ever. When we were dating, I was like, when we were engaged, I'm like, okay, let's talk about the children we don't have and get aligned. So more importantly is like being aligned on that stuff now. So like, it's less about how we do it. It's more about, we have to be aligned on it. And, and if we're not aligned, like we had this the other night, we had a, a, a disagreement about something over like food or something like late at night. In the old days, Sarah or I, I'm saying Sarah, but I could easily be me, would correct each other in front of the kids. I'd be like, oh no, Sarah, they can't, you know, and we would like disagree or I would, or I would trump her. No, your mom is not right. You know, it's okay. She, you know, but now two nights ago, I was like, sweetie, can I talk for you a second? It was more like this, sweetie, <laughs> can I talk to you for a second in private over here? It wasn't. And then I was like, please don't ever do that again. Like you trumped me, which takes away my authority. So, and we had a conversation. And so those things are really important. Just a tip. No, I, no, no. You know, it's hard. We, we, we yeah, we're, to, we're to both guilty it, of trumping yeah, each other. To, yeah. to do it in, you know, and then, and then, and then the other thing I would say about that is I was giving a speech and, and in the afternoon, I always go to listen to the speakers before. Like I love, I love, I'm a student of public speaking. So I love listening to lectures and talks and there were all these breakout groups and there was a, one gal had, had a breakout session about parenting and marriage. So I went to it. It was phenomenal. By the way, and now we work together. I hired her as a coach and now we work together in my programs and whatever. Dr. Karen, Karen Gordon, she's amazing. And, and one of the things that she said in, the, in this talk was, it's important that your kids see that, you, that mommy and daddy come first. And I'd always been taught the kids come first. It's like, oh, no, it's our, our kids. No, like they have to know that mommy and daddy are right. And that like we go on dates and that we're connected, that's gotta be the number one thing. And I then, completely and agree with that. That they come second. Because yeah. otherwise they're running the house. Yeah. Yeah. Then they feel like they have almost leverage over you. One hundred percent. You have to you have to show leverage a synergy as parents, just like you show synergy in business. You have to show it to the kids and show them who's boss. No, it's incredible how even at a young <laughs> age, how quickly they can try to flip that. Oh and take authority over you if you're not careful. This one's for the pet lovers out there, the dog lovers. If you're not a dog lover, not a pet lover, what the hell are you doing listening to this show? We love the farmer's dog so much. This has been a longtime partner that we use every single day in our household for our pets that we love so much. Lauren and I spend so much time talking about different ways that we can take care of ourselves and not enough time talking about how to take care of our furry friends, our pets, the ones that give us the most love in life. 
For those of you that are unfamiliar with the farmer's dog, it's developed by vets, nutritionally balanced, and made from real healthy ingredients to human food safety standards. It's the best option for dogs at all life stages because it's not kibble, it's not canned goo, it's just real healthy food. Again, why would you not want to give your pets real healthy food? Traditional dry and wet dog food options are highly processed, can use much lower quality ingredients they claim to, and are extremely difficult to portion accurately. The farmer's dog makes it super easy for us. They send these packets straight to our door and then we're able to portion control them for our pets every single day. They are thriving. They are happy. They get so excited whenever we pull out the packs. A fresh diet has been found to have all sorts of benefits from healthier coat and skin to better breath, even easier digestion and smaller, better poops. A healthy diet isn't just important for humans. It's also extremely important for our dogs. And dogs of any age at any stage can try the farmer's dog. We, of course, have an incredible offer for you. Get 50% off your first box of fresh, healthy food at thefarmersdog.com slash skinny. Plus, you get free shipping. Just go to thefarmersdog.com slash skinny to get 50% off. That's thefarmersdog.com slash skinny. Quick break to talk about one of our longest running show partners, one of our favorite services, one of our favorite brands, and that is Thrive Market. Thrive Market has been our go-to for all of our grocery and household essentials for years now. I think since the history of this show, we might be going on seven, eight years running using Thrive Market. Long-time listeners will remember that they played a huge part in the early years of this show as one of our first partners, and we've continued to work with them because we love their service so much. I love that Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and sourcing methods. They restrict hundreds of ingredients across their food and cleaning categories, and I can use their on-site filters to suit my lifestyle needs. So whether you're looking for organic kids, food, snacks, low-sugar alternatives, or gluten-free pantry essentials, you can can curate your own shopping experience. Lauren and I for years have been using the service to find all of the healthiest, all of the cleanest, all of the best ingredients. Outside of finding the best products, best ingredients, and saving some money, you are also helping a family in need with their one-for-one membership matching program. They've done this for years. It's an incredible program. You can join and they give. So check out one of the best brands and best services on the market. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. Go to thrivemarket.com slash skinny, 30% off your first order, plus a free $60 gift. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash skinny, thrivemarket.com slash skinny. Check it out. There are three things that I have every single day and I am addicted to them. And I am pretty strict with what I eat when I'm at home because I really like to do high protein And I'm like 80-20. So when I travel, I'm like more of the 20. But when I'm at home, there's three things, like I said, that I eat. And they are all by Chroma Wellness. First thing, their Beauty Matcha. Oh my God, it is so good. I froth it with raw milk and some water and I do it over ice or I just do it with hot water. I do two scoops and I feel like I'm getting a caffeine boost that tastes delicious, that's super low sugar, but has protein in it. The next thing is, And this is something that Michael's also implemented into his diet is they have this like kind of spicy, not too spicy cranberry hydration elixir. And I'll use a frother again and froth it up with water and ice. And the last thing that I eat a scoop in bed is they have this oh my God cookie butter and it has like goji berries on the top of it and it tastes like a cookie butter, but it's chewy with the goji berries. I am telling you, these three like sort of treats get me through my day. And 
Chroma is offering free shipping on all five-day resets through the end of January, as well as an exclusive 15% discount for TSC listeners only. Go to chromawellness.com and enter code SKINNY at checkout. The five-day reset is such a good one after the holidays. I would be crazy not to talk to you about daily routines, time management, productivity. What are things that you do to be the most productive? I know you talked about the big ass calendar, but what are things that you do on a micro level? What are do you employ certain people to do certain things? How do you stay so productive, so energized every single day? Well, you know, I don't have like a, a routine that like at six o'clock I get up and like four, five, eight o'clock I do this. Like, I feel like that's so much pressure and I can never, I'm not, it's just not the way I operate. I couldn't keep that. So I, my routine, but, but the things that I like to do, like the, like sauna and cold plunging, for example, is part of my routine, but I don't, it's not like I do that every day at 10. It's just something I want to squeeze in during the day. So for starters, my day starts the night before you hear so much about morning routines, but like evening routines. So I lay out my day for the following day in advance. So like, I, I can't just wake up and wing it. Like the competition is too good. So like I have, I lay out my day at, the night before and I follow that schedule, but that schedule changes. Is this in Google Calendar? I handwrite it. You handwrite it. See, I this is why I love talking to all different entrepreneurs. You handwrite it. So the night before you sit down, you're like at eight o'clock. There's and- all kinds of studies about handwriting. I'm versus, obsessed with it. Tell yeah. us. So you sit down on just like a regular pad of paper and handwrite it. Yeah. Love and it. what are you writing down? Are you writing your goals for the day? Or are you writing no, specifically the oh, time? I, no, I lay it out. So I'd be like, I'm going to go, I'm going to run from eight to 10. You know, I'm going to exercise, whatever, 10 to four. I'm working on whatever. I have a call at one and I lay it out. So I'm like, and I'm following it. So that's the first thing. So like, I don't wake up like, what am I doing today? Yeah. What's the best use of my <sighs> time? I do that every night. And I actually, I have an assistant. So we, she sends it to me and I can tweak it, but I have it all laid out. That's the most important thing. And then I used to put a lot of pressure on myself day to day. And now I think in terms of weeks, so let me give you an example. I'm a runner. So I'd be like, I'm going to run seven miles every day this week. But inevitably something happens. At my kid, I drive to get my son, get him a strep test. I can't run. So like, oh, I, I set myself up for failure. So instead of that, I say like, I'm going to run, you know, 49 miles, seven, whatever, 35 miles this week. So if I miss a day, I can make it up. So if you if you miss seven miles one day, you could do like ten miles the next day and what, eleven I, whatever. I've greatly increased my odds, my of success. So like I'm an author, I'm gonna write, I'm writing a book, I'm gonna write ten pages a day. I can never do that every day. I'm gonna write seventy pages this week. So if I miss two days, I can make it up. You know. So I'm thinking in terms of weeks versus day to day, and that's Smart. oh, it's much better, much better. It takes the pressure. I have enough pressure. What do I want to put pre- that much pressure on me every? 365, I just took 365 days and I shrunk it down to 52 weeks of practice, 52 versus 365. Well, especially with the, I mean, speaking of my friends without kids, when they give me these elaborate routines, but they don't have kids yet. And they have like, there's nothing that's going to derail their day. I'm like, listen, like, I, I don't know. Someone gets sick. Some kid could throw up. That's every school. Like a hundred percent. Like you can't, you need flexibility. And then, and then the other things for me is like, I have a list of like, I made a list of like, five or 10 things that I, like if, if time wasn't an issue or money wasn't an issue, what do I love to do? I love playing sports with my kids and hopefully they love it too. Hopefully I can keep it fun enough that they love it. So I want to make sure that like, and like 
when I had Marquee Jet, a guy that worked for me, I was single at the time, came in and he was like, my, I said, what'd you do this weekend? He's like, oh, I took my son to soccer. How'd he do? He's like, oh, he scored nine goals. I was like, what? He scored, Pele doesn't score nine goals. Like, what are you talking about? How'd he get so good at soccer? He's like, oh, I spent five minutes a day with him. I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, all the other kids, they have one practice a week and then they, they play in a game. But we play five minutes every day. So when we come back at the end of the month, you know, we've spent three or four more hours, whatever the math is, more than the other kids playing soccer. And it's just compounded. He's really good. So I'm like, I'm spending five minutes a day. And I did. I'm still like, I'm spending 5.5. Yeah, <laughs> you're five? Yeah. I'm going to spend 10. <laughs> no, but, but so that, so that, but I'm, so that has been like a lesson I never forgot ever. There's actually something, I, I posted this today called the rule of 100. And the rule of 100 states that if you spend 18 minutes a day, adults, that's 109 hours a year, 18 minutes a day, so 100 hours, let's just say, the rule of 100 in any discipline, so playing the piano, MMA, fighting, whatever, archery, you'll be better than 95% of the world's population in that discipline. So like imagine if, if your kids, I mean, it's not realistic, but every year they chose one thing. Oh, this year we're going to get really good at you, you, you know, the trampoline or whatever. By the time they're like 40, they'll be Jason Bourne. Your son will be Jason Bourne. If you, it doesn't take a lot. It just takes consistency. So back to your question, Lauren. I made a list of the things I love to do, playing sports with my kids, sauna and cold plunging, breath work. I love doing like Wim Hof breathing. And every day I try to do like two or three of the things I love to do. Like every day, wherever it's scheduled. It's not the when, it's the what. I try to do a couple of things every day that I love to do because I show up so much better as a dad, as a husband, as a boss in meetings everywhere when I check my box. We took a sauna and a cold plunge today. I went for a run. Those are the those are two. Those are my two vitamins. My, my daily vitamins. And I do that religiously every day. And you know what? I'm so enthusiastic. I have so much energy and so much zest for life like because of that. And I've been doing it since I'm a friggin' teenager. I didn't realize it. This wasn't something that you became successful. You no. always did it. And it has nothing to do with money. Mm -hmm. all, like, right, I love riding my bike. I love running. I love swimming. I love doing breath work. All the things I just mentioned. I can't do them all every day, but I'm doing two or three of them every day. And this is crazy. When I had Marquee Jet, we flew the, I was 29, to like, we flew the who's who of pop culture, CEOs, athletes, and entertainers on our airplanes. And I was obsessed with their habits. I'm a, I'm a byproduct of this. Anytime I had a free moment, I would ask these amazing actors and athletes and CEOs like, how do you, what time do you wake up? How do you spend your, where you do you- sound like me. <laughs> where, do you, where do you vacation? And oh, I, vacation, and, that's a good well, one. How do you live rich? So when I was 30, got a little older in my 30s, I had a meeting with one of our customers. This guy was incredibly wealthy. And I said to him, I'm not gonna say his last name. I said, Jim, how do you live rich? Like, what do you do? And he, he told me that every day, First, he said, I read, I wake up and I read six newspapers, which so again, some of this stuff doesn't resonate with me. I'm never going to do that, but some of it did. And he, and he went through a whole checklist of things he did. 
And he goes, I take three hours a day cumulative for me. I'm like, tell me about that. He goes, yeah, like I might go, you know, read a paper for 20 minutes, go in the sauna for 20 minutes. I might go for a walk, but cumulatively throughout the 24 hours a day, cumulatively, I'll take two or three hours a day for me. And I'm like, I'm doing that. And I asked him why. He's like, oh, I'm the happiest guy in the world. Like when you check the box, now if my wife says, I want to go to the opera, I don't want to go to the opera, Sarah. I hate the opera. But if I did my bike ride and I'm sauna, I'm, I'm more than happy to go to the opera. Because you already did if your If the session. opera takes away from the bike ride and the sauna, I'm resenting my wife. So those two or three things, now I can go to my, I went to my daughter's softball game for two hours yesterday. It was so boring. I loved it because before that I did the, I did those things for me. So I'm showing up way better as a parent and as a husband because of it. It's critical, man. I also think to perform at the level that I think all of us want to perform at and to show up as the parents that we want to show up with, that we have to run our uh, personal life as athletes. And an athlete wouldn't just show up to play a game. They would, they'd go to their stretcher. They, they go practice. They go meet with what a psychologist, like what, whatever they do to get, to get in the headspace. They don't just show up and play the basketball game. Well, again, we were talking right. in the sauna and we were, you know, we're no, like everybody knows, like we put a big emphasis on doing wellness things. And sometimes pe people have asked like, Hey, do Michael and Lauren do the really actually like do those things they talk about? And I said, no, you don't understand. Like doing those things enables us to do the other things. If we didn't do those things, we couldn't do the things that maybe quote unquote we're known for. Does that well, make I mean, sense? I saw it firsthand. It's like your house, like a training compound. <laughs> no, I was like, <laughs> because you know, it's so funny. Like I would say, who's gnarlier, me or Goggins in the cold plane? <laughs> <laughs> No, Let me but, tell you, no, your 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 cold plunge game. No, Lauren's not really. Lauren is next level. Do you think Wim would approve? You or Wim Hof approved? Really? Yeah, you're elite. You think I'm putting I could you, you're go elite? In the, in she's gnarly. No, she's elite. No, she's gnarly. It, and and she's here's another thing. Like she's full conversation in it, and she comes out. The shivering didn't even impact. She's like, I. She literally said, "I love to shiver." Yeah, no, she's uh, listen. You took the shit. You freaked shivering out. I'll take shivering, this from Jesse Itzler. No, I'll shivering. Pull the clip and show everyone. <laughs> no, listen. I will feel like I can cold plunge with the best of them. Then I'll cold plunge with my wife, and I'm like, I am a total. I'm bitch. not like, gonna lie, and this is not even to brag. I could have done five. No, no, times. I know you could. It's it's wild. <laughs> okay, I would be whim. I'm available. I would be personally <laughs> remiss if I didn't ask you a selfish question. I think a lot of the audience has maybe experienced you and knows you from speaking. And I mean this as an extreme compliment. I think you are one of the best speakers I've ever seen publicly. The the way, not just the way that you speak, but you know how to get into the crowd. You're moving around. You basically like... He you, pulls you in. You pull people in and you... It's a charisma. It's not like when, when you see a Jesse speech, and I've seen you speak a few times, you're not just... You don't just sit up there on stage with a mic and talk behind a podium. Like you're really active. What I always say this on the show, one of my personal biggest fears years ago was public speaking. I obviously now speak all the time for a living um, and do this show. But what do you personally think makes an impactful speaker? Well, first of all, thank you. You know, I spend a lot of time on it. You can tell. A, it took a lot of reps. It matters so much to me. I think the first thing is it really matters to me. I think the number one thing for, for anyone doing public speaking is to talk with conviction, you know, uh, and to be, you hear the word authentic, but to be yourself and tell, 
I think the things that that make the biggest difference is I tell stories that only I can tell because they happen they only happen to me. So I'm telling stories about my business journey, my bike ride, et cetera. They're things that I've experienced. The more you experience, the more you have to offer. And that alone makes me unique than the other 8 billion people in the world because I'm not saying get comfortable being uncomfortable. Like anyone can say that. I'm saying this is how I felt when I rode across America and this is how I dealt with it and this is what I learned from it. This is why it's important and this is how you can do it in your life. So that's a lot different than saying, you know, a lot of people are, are saying things like, you have to have good habits. No shit. How do you do that? Right. You know, like no shit. It's like saying drink water. Like when right. someone says, how do you get your skin like that? And they say drink water. When I was in college, I took a public speaking class. It was a throwaway class. I needed three credits and my friends were like, take the public speaking class. It's a joke. It's so easy. I walked in there and I was like, this is the most important class I took in all of college. My college tuition is now at where I went to school at American University is $40,000 a year. That's $160,000. If I only took that class, it would have paid for itself. And I remember my public speaking teacher saying, giving me a framework and I still use it today. I use it in presentations and meetings. I use it in front of, on a big stage. I use it in front of my team. The first thing is I always have an icebreaker. So there's, there's a story. It doesn't have to be relevant about what I'm talking about today, but something that's either makes me vulnerable or it's funny or whatever. And it could be as, as, as simple as like, I'm making this up, but like, oh my God, I was walking in here today to do your show and someone recognized they're like, oh my God, I love you. I'm a huge fan of, fan of yours, Jamie. <laughs> you know, no, it's Jesse, you know? So that's like already like, that's an icebreaker. Anyway, it's great to be here. So there's like, you know, I, I don't take, that, that already says I don't take myself serious. I've said, whatever, I'm using that as a bad example. So you want to have an icebreaker. Two is you want to tell people in the audience what, what it is you're talking about. People want to follow along and know what it is you're going to be talking about today. Guys, today, I'm so glad we got the whole office today. Today, I want to talk about March sales. Oh, okay. I know what he's going to talk about. So icebreaker, you want to um, tell people what you're going to talk about. You want to deliver, number three is you want to deliver on that promise. So whatever you tell them you're going to talk about, you want to deliver on that. And then four is you want to leave people with actionable takeaways so they can leave and actually implement something. I'm not here to entertain you. I want to leave, you want to leave our talk with something that you can apply into your everyday life. And that's always been the framework. And then it's just transitions between, and then for me, I'm a storyteller. I like to tell stories that have humor or emotion. I want to make people laugh. I want to make people cry. And I want to make people think. So I try to, all that goes into the framework of, but now I do this for a living. Sure. But for anyone listening, I still think the framework of an icebreaker, giving, letting people know what you're going to talk about, delivering on that and giving them takeaways is critical. No, I think you could apply this to anything, a business lecture, you could apply it to a meeting yeah. or anything. Last quick follow-up question before that. And I think a lot of people think about this. A lot of people have stage fright. Maybe you never had it. I don't know if you did or didn't. If you did, how did you get over it or how would you coach people to get over it? Well, I think being nervous is okay. And I think that it shows that, you know, it matters to you. It, it go, I still get that, but it goes away. You know when it goes away? When you're confident. You know, when you, when you feel prepared, it goes away. Then it's just... Then it shifts to enthusiasm to deliver 
what you're excited to deliver. Obviously, it comes with reps, and reps could be even in front of, when I started speaking, I took three people in my office and said, I need you for 45 minutes. I want you to critique this and tell me, and I filmed it, and I want you to tell me what, what you like, what you, you know, where can I make it better? Do I lose you? Is it punchy? It's an art form, man. And you can't, again, like Lauren said, like you, pro athletes don't just show up. They get reps, they practice. They, they, so I asked these three people and then I went back, has this, is this better? I looked at myself on tape. When I give a new speech now, I still film myself and then watch the whole thing. I didn't like this, it's dragging. How do I make it 10% better? This shit matters, man. How do I make it better? How can I make this better? It, it, am I losing anybody? So I'm, 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 really, I'm really diving into it. Barry Arnold Schwarzenegger, he does that too. It's very, and I mean, he's obviously incredibly successful. He watches himself speak. And I think that's a, such a great tip because you can actually see yourself from a different perspective. And, and the other thing that's important is like, some people will go through it in their head. You're not doing it in your head when you're on stage. You're right. talking. You talk faster in your head. So I time it. I like to hold, I don't use a head thing. You know, are you using a handheld mic or are you using a, what's it called? A lavalier yeah. or, or one of those things on your, what are you using? Because if you're not holding something, if you're holding something in the hand, well, then you have a free hand, but you only have one free hand because your mic's up. So you have to practice that. If you have two free hands, that's weird. How, you know, so you have to practice what you're using. I only use handhelds. When you practice speaking, even for a presentation, you want to look around the room when you go through your, your rehearsal or, or whatever, you're not looking in a mirror because then you're looking at yourself. You're not looking at yourself on stage. You're looking at, at the audience and you're not looking at your mannerisms. So I practice, you know, in front of a room of nothing, like I'm projecting out to thousands of people. And then the last thing I would say that that's a tip for me is when I go into a, and this is, maybe this is, you guys do the same thing. I don't know. But when I'm going on to speak in front of a crowd, let's say a big crowd, I'll look at the, I'll look at the stage. So I'll like, I'll go to the back of the room or the side of the room and I'll look at the stage. And then I will, in my mind's eye, see myself on the stage looking out. So I can see, I know the size of the stage. I know the audience. I have a visual of, of what it's going to feel. I'm visualizing what it's going to feel like to project out to the audience from the angle of me on the stage. That's different. Very different than just walking on there for the first time. I've already been out there in my mind's eye. You, know, you understand what I'm saying? No, no. And listen, the reason I felt compelled to ask you this is I think a lot of people will see someone like yourself speak and they'll think, wow, this is just natural ability, which I'm sure there is some natural ability. But again, we've interviewed a lot of people. And what I will say is like, none of this stuff happens by accident. And to hear you talk about all of the different ways that you prep and think about this, I think it's going to trigger something in people's mind. Like, oh, this isn't just like some guy that rolled out of a van at a speaking event and then just showed up and won it. You know what I mean? Like you're, there's a lot of prep and a lot of And care. I study it. Mm -hmm. I watch TED Talks. Like I said, I'm, I've been to, I don't know, maybe I gave 50 speeches this year. I'm, the, I'm usually the only one on the, on the roster that's in the back row watching the other people. I will attest that you did that. Yeah. I saw yeah. you do it. Yeah, when we were there, yeah, no, I'm not making I it up. I saw you do it. No, no I yeah. saw you do it. Yeah, no. I know. and it's not like- I'm going to steal a lot of the stuff you just said. I'm going to listen back to this clip. I'm, I really I, hope you do. I already wrote I, it down, I, the framework. And by the way, like, I, I want, I'm rooting for everybody. I'm not, I want, I'm not, 
I'm an open, I'll share anything. I feel like I won, I won the lottery. I have nothing to hide. Like I, there's no trade secrets. If I, there are several people in the speaking circuit, high level, that I've written their TED Talks for. I'm not going to mention them. I've written their TED Talks, and I've and they are and then there's people that are competitive with me on the speaking circuit who have I've gone over to and said I have a suggestion. I think you should do it this way. I couldn't care less. I'm competing with me. Well, again, because you're speaking from experiences that only happen to you. So it right. they can't compete yeah, with that Yeah, I anyway. hope you guys crush it. Like, do I care? You have a calendar company called Big Ass Calendar. Yes. <laughs> you yeah. guys made me one in baby pink. It's absolutely gorgeous. It's going to sit in my office. I'm going to send you guys, you and Taylor, a picture of my calendar that's filled up with all the trips that Michael Bostick's planned. <laughs> I'm going to make him do the work. I'll put the post-its on, though. And I'm going to send you a picture. I'm so excited to use this in my own life. I've never actually looked at my entire life from a year view. And to be able to go back and look at it every single year is something I'd want to show my kids. And it's inspiring. I think it's such a great idea. So you guys made one in baby pink for me. And I asked you before this if we could do one for our audience in baby pink. So it's on the site. You guys can go shop jetsyitzler.com slash skinny. So go shop the pink calendar. It's the big ass calendar. You guys can all get your own in pink. It's so pretty. They also have it in blue though too. Yeah. And what's great about it is it's all 365 days of the year on one page. So you can track towards goals and you can put, you know, it's super visual and humans are visual. So for me, it's like the number one planning tool that I have. I think what I'll do is I'll like put all my post-its on it and then I'll try to show you guys how I've used mine in my office. I also want to just say that I noticed that the one that you brought of yours is sort of beat up, which tells me that you, you're not precious about it. You bring it, you bring it around. It's not like sitting on a wall. Is that right? Yeah. It, I, I, it does sit on my wall, but I also, it travels with me too. Okay. So you're looking at it. (laughs) I'm unique in that. No, I like that. that. I like that. I'm obsessed with that. Where can everyone find you? Where can everyone find what you're doing? Pimp yourself out, Jesse, and come back anytime. First of all, thank you guys. And this year, I hope you go on a trip with me, Michael. You know, like one of these mini adventures. We should have the same date on our calendar for something. I gotta work. I gotta work up to your level. I gotta get. I gotta get that endurance up. No, man. I saw your sauna game. I I think it (laughs) might be the reverse. No, I'm just at at, on all the socials at Jesse Itzler and jesseitzler.com. Pretty simple. Love it. Thank Thank you you for doing this. Thank you guys for coming on. I love today. Was fun. It was fun. Oh, I loved it, man. Thank you. Two things before you go. You can watch us now on YouTube. So you can go on YouTube, search The Skinny Confidential and watch our entire episodes on your computer or TV. Also, you should know Michael and I are doing a him and her newsletter. So basically, it's a him and her tip of the day, five days a week. And the tips are very specific, as you can imagine. And then we also have a monthly favorites. So basically, we collect all our monthly favorites, everything we've bought and used and tried and put it in one monthly newsletter for you. To sign up for that, go to shopskinnyconfidential.com and sign up for the newsletter. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time.